it's always very important to get your stories straight. You know that. We see that in movies all the time. And if you don't get your stories straight, people can separate you and all kinds of bad things can happen. I have a friend in this church who, when he was in college, he went backpacking across the Middle East. And uh, it was just kind of going from place to place, no real like plan in mind. He went going from place to place. And at one point, he crossed into um, Israel, and the Border Patrol decided he had too many stamps on his passport, and they got suspicious. Who are you? What are you doing here? And they, they put him in a holding room, and they said, uh, who are you traveling with? And they, they split them apart. There, there was two of them. And uh, he said, and they asked him, where did you two meet? Now, uh, Austin in our church, he, he thought that question was, where did y'all meet? He said, Norman, Oklahoma, at the University of Oklahoma. His traveling companion thought that question meant, where did y'all meet on this trip? And he said, Syria. And for the next 12 hours, somebody would walk in every five minutes and say, who are you? What are you doing here? And he had to sit and go through that over and over, just, just trying to, as they tried to find some conflict between them. It's important to get your story straight. That can be really, that can be troubling. Uh, you know that if you're a parent, right? Uh, hey, Dad, Mom said we could have a missile launcher. I don't think she did. But let me check with her, you know. It's important to get your story straight. Uh, in, the, in the book of Galatians this morning, in Galatians chapter 2, Paul's going to tell us about the time he went up to Jerusalem to, to check his message with the apostles, to get his story straight, because, because we have one truth. And what we're going to learn from that is that in order for the gospel to have power, in order for our church to have a real ministry, in order for us to reflect who Christ is to the world, we have to be unified. We have to be unified. And, but not just unified around anything. As a matter of fact, you have to have something to unify around. And so we, we, we are unified by the truth. Without truth, you have no unity. But without unity... You're, you don't have the truth. You don't have the truth. Please stand as we read from Galatians chapter 2. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment." so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, now whatever they were makes no difference to me, for God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed to be influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised 
worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Thus far the reading of God's word, all flesh is like, all men are like grass, all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. Truth and unity. Without truth, we have no unity. Without unity, the truth is vain. I went uh, to school at in, in Vander, at Vanderbilt in uh, the 80s, ancient history now, and, uh, and, and they talked about something all the time. It was kind of the, the front end of this idea of multiculturalism, and, and we were trying to be multicultural, and, and in order to be multicultural, they built buildings for everybody. There was a philosophy dorm, and there was uh, a building for the Asian students, and there was a building for the... Hispanic students, and there was a building for the black students, and then you had the fraternities, uh, you know, anyway. Um, and what ended up happening was the entire campus fractured. We never saw each other. Everybody went to their own building. Then I went to seminary, uh, to a seminary that at the time Christianity Today called the, uh, the most conservative seminary in the world. Yay me. And uh, we never talked about multiculturalism once. And yet, I don't think I had a single class that didn't have a representative of at least five continents. We didn't talk about it. We exemplified it. We were united around Jesus. We were united around the truth. You have to have something to unite around. You can't unite around the idea of unity because eventually everybody's going to splinter. We needed something with a gravitational pull that that pulled us together. And in Christ we had it. And that's that's what we're we're talking about here. The Apostle Paul says, I went up to Jerusalem to lest my ministry be in vain. Now he wasn't worried about his message. He, got, he received his message straight from the Lord that, that we are saved by grace, that we are forgiven by grace, that we are accepted in Christ uh, strictly because of his righteousness that is put upon us. He knew that was the message. He wasn't trying to get the message from the apostles. He wasn't like comparing notes. What he was doing was saying, is this what you preach too? Because if it's not, then this church has no chance. This this fledgling group that we call the Church of Jesus, it has no chance because it's going to be divided from the very beginning. And the apostles, Paul and and James and John, they all agreed. They gave each other the right hand of fellowship. And it says the apostles added nothing. They didn't didn't say, no, you're, you're missing this or you're missing that. They added nothing to me. They united around the truth. What does it mean lest uh, we minister in vain? Lest our work is in vain? It means that it won't last. Our gospel won't last. Is, is the truth important? Yes. Is unity important? 
Absolutely. Without unity, we, we lose it. And that's hard for us to understand. I think um, in a world where everything is divisive, at a time that has been the most divisive, I, this last three years has been the most divisive time I can remember. Now, I, some people say the 60s were worse. I was born in 69, so I missed that one. Uh, but uh, at a time when it seems like every issue divides us, we need to hear that unity is important. Unity is important. Uh, it is important because without it, we lose our ministry. It's important because without it, we lose our ministry. What do I mean? I mean factions and infighting in the church show people on the margins of the church that there's no truth there. They say they're all one in Christ. They say they all believe the same gospel, but they hate each other. And, and that's driving people away. And we see it uh, in droves. We see it everywhere. This, you know, phrases like uh, exvangelical and deconstructing in my faith. And it, it all always goes back not to the, the, the nugget of truth at the middle of all, everything we have. It doesn't go back to Jesus. It goes back to the ethics of the people in the church and the fact that they don't love each other. With, and without that, that unity, we, we lose our ministry. Just like without unity, it's hard to parent, right? If, if you're, you can split your... Kids learn this. They learn it inherently. If they can get mom and dad to disagree, they'll get what they want. That's why you have to agree about how many hours of TV and when is bedtime and whether or not you can spend the night. And, you know, you, the kids soon figure out who's going to say yes and who's going to say no. And so they always go to the one who says yes first. And then that one always says, but, you know, go ask, you know, go ask your mom. Make sure she, she knows. And they lead with, Dad said we can go do this. Can we? They get it. And if you get it at a small age, you never lose that. You never lose the idea that if there is no unity, there is no truth. It must not be true that candy's bad for you because our parents don't agree. And the gospel must not be true because those people hate each other. We lose our ministry without unity. We lose our freedom without unity. Lose our freedom. It's interesting. He said, they, spied in, they, they sent spies in among us to, to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into slavery. So they might bring us into slavery. The, the in, enemies of, of the truth here, some want to take truth away and some want to add to it. But both end up leading us into slavery. If you are... Uh, the younger brother type who runs from the truth, who doesn't believe the truth, you end up becoming enslaved to uh, a cancel culture and to a world without the value of deep commitment. I, I want you to hear me say that. If you believe that there is no truth, so you should abandon the church and just go and fulfill your individual freedoms because that's what life is about. You will be a slave to the fear that there is nothing abiding and true. How does that work? 
Um, Christian author, more or less. Well, yeah, I'll shut up. Christian author, uh, uh, Glennon Doyle. Self-fulfillment. Freedom. Writes the, the book Untamed. And it's, it's a great idea, right? We're going we're gonna to throw off the shackles of traditional culture. And I'm, I'm sure there are things that she disagrees with that I disagree with too. But in throwing off those shackles, she also threw off her husband and her children. And she married a woman. Now, how can she be sure if she can wake up one day and say, Hey, you know what? I'm not into you. And she can pursue her own freedom. What makes her think that her wife can't wake up one morning and say, I'm not that into you. And go and pursue her own freedom. You, you live a life where there's no commitment. We are always a slave to how people feel about you at that moment. On the other hand, people who want to add to the truth uh, make us slaves. We have to be like them, whatever it is that, that they think is important. And I went, good night. The list of things I went through as an early Christian, you know, first of all, you know, if you weren't a Calvinist, if you weren't as Calvinistic as me, you, you didn't believe the gospel. I told people that often. I was what they call, uh, the official term is called a TR, the truly reformed. You know, we, we keep the Sabbath. We do all the rules. We do them all. We worship twice on Sunday. And if you don't, I really question your salvation. And if I stopped, I questioned my salvation. That's slavery. You know, and then I went to I'm going to tell you this just to blow your mind. I went to this kind of southern partisanship. Uh, you, you need to know. I, I have repented of this, by the way. I need to leave with that. I was, um, I was the chaplain for our local unit of Sons of Confederate Veterans. I've got pictures of me doing that nonsense. And I thought if you didn't agree that the South was right in the Civil War, then... You weren't a Christian. You didn't understand the truth. You'd been taken in by the liberal media. And, and we become alone and isolated and just bigoted and wrong. And, um, and if I can do it, you can too. What are you excluding people over? I mean, no, there's never been an era when people have left, the, that I know of, when people have left the church like they left every church over the last five years, four years, since 2016, ever long that is. And it has never had anything to do with the gospel. Never. And without uniting unity around the truth, you need truth and unity. Without both, you have neither. You have neither the power of the gospel nor the display of the gospel. Now, some of you, you know, some of us, I've just told you how closed-minded I can be, would not be impressed by those arguments. And so just final argument on the, why unity is important is John chapter 17. The most sacred, sweetest passage of Scripture, I think, is, is the one that I've just kind of just set my anchor in. And it is... Uh, it's all about unity. Jesus begins the passage by saying, the hour has come. Now, if you've read the book of John, you know that there's this hour. 
this coming. And, and Mary comes to Jesus and asks him to do a miracle. And he says, my hour's not yet come. And, and his brothers come to him and say, hey, if you're supposedly the Messiah, why don't you go down to Jerusalem and do some magic trick and make it, show everybody. And he said, my hour has not yet come. And he, and he said that over and over, my hour has not yet come. And then in John 17, after he has given the disciples the Last Supper, he looks up into heaven and he says, the hour has come most pregnant verse in all the Bible. It is come. The hour that we've been waiting for since Adam sinned in the garden, it is now. Father, I've done everything you gave me to do. And he begins praying, and he begins praying for his disciples. And then in verse, uh, got a new Bible, verse 20, he begins to pray for us. And this is what he prays for us. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. So that the world may believe that you sent me. You hear that? Father, you and I are one. We've always been one. There's never been a clear line where you end and I begin. And that's been true from all eternity. Now, Father, I ask, may they be united that closely so that the world will know. And he goes on to say, so that they might be in me and me and you and us and them. He's he's drawing us into this incredibly intimate unity between himself and his Father. But before we can become one with Christ, we have to be one with each other. It's important to him. It's why he died. To save us all as one church. It matters. Truth is important. It it keeps us from from slavery. It, It gives us a ministry. But most importantly, it... It, re- it reveals the spiritual truth that we are one in Jesus. But there's enemies of unity. There's one enemy of unity. And the enemy of unity is clear to anybody who's ever had a conflict that lasted. The enemy of unity is pride. It is pride that says, I cannot tell you I'm wrong. It is pride that says, no, I take so much pride in my church that all other churches are wrong. It's, it's pride that says, I just can't say I'm sorry. And, and that pride is in all of us, and we have to constantly be crushing its head like a snake. Um, when I was a campus minister, I had a student who grew up in a, a very small TR, now that I've taught you the term, church. He never really heard the gospel, and he totally abandoned the church as soon as he could. I mean, when he was 18 years in one day, he just took off. And he went into all the, you know, pleasures of the flesh and failed out of school and came back to school and uh, just did, did all the, the wrong things and uh, he came back to school because he had to get some classes so he could be a physical therapist one day. He's Actually, he's a doctor now. But um, I would knock on his door every other week. And it was 
I mean, we would talk about apologetics. We would talk about, you know, the church. We would talk about, you know, the problem of pain. We, we, we just talked about everything. And then finally one day I took him out to lunch and I said, I don't know what else to say to you. Uh, we've, we've talked about God. You know God exists. He goes, yeah. We've talked about sin. You know that sin leads to destruction. You've seen it happen. Yeah. You, you know that God will, will forgive you for, for your sin and will heal you. Yeah. I said, I don't know what else to say. Can you think of anything I've left out? He goes, no, I think you said it covered it all. I said, all right, well, call me if you need me. Uh, the next Sunday, I was sitting in my office before church. I was getting ready to teach Sunday school. And he comes into my office and he goes, I got converted this weekend. I was like, really? He said, yeah, I read C.S. Lewis. It all made sense. I'm like, really? God, did he need more credit? I think he had more enough credit. I needed some. But, uh, and he was converted, and he is still converted, and he loves the Lord. And, uh, but the funny thing is this. After he was converted, and everybody on campus knew it, and he was, his face was different, everything about his face, life was different, I came to him months later, and I said, you still haven't told your parents, have you? And he said, no, I just can't stand to tell them. I just can't stand to tell them that all those years they were right. That last vestige of pride, it's hard. But without that, getting rid of that, without stomping on that, we have no unity. There's, there's pride, all kinds of pride that keeps us separated. I've already told you my, my pride in the, in, the, in the dumbest of things kept me separated from everybody else who called themselves a Christian. I'm, I've got a phone call tomorrow night with a church in um, Nebraska, and they, uh, they've had someone ask them, can they, you know, he wants to be baptized, but he wants to be baptized by immersion. And, you know, Presbyterians don't do that. And uh, the, the pastor of the church knows that I'm happy to do that if you want to ask for it. And uh, he, he called me this week and he said would you will you talk to my session and i can't wait to talk to him i'm gonna be on zoom tomorrow night and tell him you have an opportunity to be the church in the face of all your community when you do what you don't think is exactly right but you don't have the evidence that it's wrong and when you do it you're saying our love our love for this person our love for jesus is more important to us than being right about this particular. That the gospel truth is a higher, more important, more vital truth. Is the gospel truth enough to bring us together? Of course it is. It is the solid rock of unity. The gospel is the solid rock of unity. It brings us together. It brings us together because it gives us humility. The gospel is, you know, the way we sum it up in this church, you are more sinful, you're more rebellious, you're more independent, you're more anti-loving, you're more selfish, however you define sin. You are more of that than you ever imagined. You have the ability to corrupt anything, even the Bible. You have the ability to corrupt anything you touch. And... God and His Son, Jesus Christ, loves you so much that He has 
given you a healing and a hope and a love greater than you would have ever dreamt of. And that message gives us humility. It kind of stamps over everything in the world short of the gospel, everything under it. It stamps the words, I am often wrong. I am often wrong. There's a comedian who was asked the question, if you could go back in time, would you kill Hitler? And he said, no. I'm often wrong. What if I get the wrong guy? Are you, what, what if you're wrong? Can you accept that you might be wrong about, you're a little bit, if you believe in total depravity anyway, if you're, one of, uh, if you're into that, then you know you're a little bit wrong about everything. You have to be. And you're completely wrong about something. I promise you have not reached inerrancy yet. Does that truth give you humility? The humility to join with other believers. Uh, the gospel also gives us incredible dignity. This is very interesting. It almost sounds like the Apostle Paul has a chip on his shoulder, doesn't it? He keeps saying those who seem to be influential. And uh, he's doing that because he wants people to never forget that his messages come from the Lord, not from those of influence. And he, and he says what they were in verse 6, what they were makes no difference to me, for God shows no partiality. And, and literally that verse, if you have the old King James or uh, Young's literal translation or one of those, it says, God does not look upon the face. God doesn't look on the face. Why did the Apostle Paul not need the approval of the other apostles? Because he had the approval of Jesus. He had the approval of Jesus. And that was his identity. And what other people think of us can't take that away. A a lot of times, the reason why, the reason why I fought so hard for, you know, Southern pride was because that was my identity. And if it was wrong, then I was wrong. And I just couldn't stand the idea of being wrong. I couldn't stand the idea of being lower than you. It was the only thing I had to hold on to. If you're poor enough and from the South, you know the feeling. You're, that's the only thing you have to hold on to. And it's something you need to lay down. But once you realize who you are in Jesus, you can let go of everything else. Your dignity can't be taken away because it's not from you anyway. It's from Christ. When, I, uh, when my boys were small and lived in the Mississippi Delta, uh, one of them had this little teddy bear, and he took it everywhere. And uh, We called it Rattle Bear. And uh, we took him to get new shoes, and he was about four. And I told the boys at some point, never buy shoes until you're running them, and they never forgot that. And so we put new shoes on him, and he took off running around the store. I'm like, okay. And uh, we bought the shoes, and his other shoes were so bad, we just threw them away, you know, and, uh, went, and we went home. And that night, when it was time to go to bed, he realized there was no rattle bear. And so we got him to sleep that night, and first thing in the morning, I got up and drove to the shoe store. Did y'all find a little teddy bear? You mean that really dirty, gray bear? I said, well, actually, it's white. He said, yeah, we, we threw that away. 
So I go out to the dumpster, and I jump in. Of course, right next to the shoe store is a subway. So there's all kinds of food in that dumpster, and it's 150 degrees, and it is just nasty, and I'm ripping open bags and dumping them out, ripping open bags, dumping them out, and finally on top of the lettuce and tomato and mayonnaise, there is a teddy bear. And I reach down, and I grab the teddy bear, hold it like this, go home, wash it, give it, give it to my son, and he just hugs it. Now, why? Why would I love something that is dirty and germ-infested and possibly deadly enough to go through the dumpster for it? Because my son's love for it made it valuable. My son's love for it made it valuable. We could not have sold it for three cents. But his love made it valuable. You see how that applies to you? Your value is not in your partnership. Your value is not in your theology. Your value is not in your career. Your value is not in your marriage. Your value is external to you, given to you. Because God loves you so much that he gave his son for you. And that can't be taken away. So we don't have to fight to maintain our sides. We don't have to always be right. Because we're in Christ and that can't be taken away. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we pray that you would make us to believe that. Make us to believe that we are so secure in Jesus that it's okay to be wrong about lesser things. Father, I pray that this era of divisiveness would end. I pray that you would begin to heal the rifts that have been formed within this church and in the church at large. I pray that you give us the grace to forgive quickly. I pray that you give us the, the humility to repent often and thoroughly. I pray that you would enable and persuade us to love each other and become one, even as you and your son are one. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.